Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Book of James. The final message from the book of James. We've given it a very uh, witty name. The series, sermon series is Studies in the Book of James. I thought that was very witty. Tried to come up with something cute, couldn't do it. This morning, I, I entitled the message, Tell the Truth. And I had you repeat that a number of times. Would you say it? Tell the truth. So if I thought about it later, I could have called it Spill the Tea. Or Tell the Tea. Anyway, uh, some of you might get that. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, James, final verses in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. Are you ready? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let, him, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. In the name of the what? In the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. An illustration of that, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and and someone should bring that person back. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, let me just make this correction. That's the NIV. I don't even think it's the 1984 version. And there are some instances in the New International Version that the, the translators, those scholars that put it together, why are tremendously educated, there's oftentimes where they miss it. This is one of them that really misses it. Because this last verse, if you were to read it in the New King James or the King James, it says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save their soul from death. Big difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Move in power. So grateful for what you've done all day long that we stand before you as your people, the flock in your care. We thank you that your word is going to go forth, has gone forth, and will not return void. We thank you for the anointing that rests upon us, giving us all ears to hear and a heart to respond. God, come and speak to us. Would you ask God right now? Come on, ask him to speak to you. Lord, come and speak to us. We are not here for a lecture. We're not here to ease our conscience, Lord, or fulfill some religious duty. We're here to worship you, to love you, and to love each other, and to hear the word of the Lord that'll bring forth transformation. Thank you for what you've done all day long and what you will do tonight. 
We give you praise in Jesus' name. Put your hands together for God and say amen. And why don't you high five like three or four people while they start my clock? Not that I'm going to watch it all that much, but I would like it. Minister Becky could probably tell some stories, no doubt, about many things, but about being bedside while someone has their last moments. I have been by the side of numerous, many, I'll say many, many people who died just afterwards. And there's some incredible stories that I have to tell. On one occasion, now this is not my story, but a friend of mine's story. On one occasion, a precious lady was in a coma and they were, she was dying and she came out of the coma. All of her family's around her. This is the last moment of her life. She had, she had sons and daughters. She had grandchildren. She was elderly. She was very sick. I, I think she was unresponsive. And as they're praying around her and they realize she's about to take her last breath, her eyes open up. She sits straight up in bed and says, Oh, Jesus. Johnny, blah, 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 blah. And she goes right down the line, points to every one of their kids, points to all the grandkids and says, oh, Jesus is here. I've got to go. And she leaves and she dies. I've been there when, when the angel of the Lord seems to just come and, and people go to heaven. It is one of the most beautiful things there could be. We had a precious brother in the Lord, uh, Brother Jim. Had just gone to be with the Lord here a couple weeks ago in the Hacker family, and they told me the story. So beautiful that they were there. I mean, it's sad you did I, but this is not the end. They go to heaven. We have the hope of heaven. We don't mourn like regular people. We get to see our loved ones that are born again and saved later. There's a cloud of witnesses in heaven. I was laughing earlier uh, this week, in fact, yesterday, about the way that. Karen's dad would say certain things. He's in heaven. I'm going to see him later. It's a great comfort. One of the things you'll see with people when they have final words, the last things, like if I was never going to see you again, what would I say to you? Think about this. If you're never going to see someone ever again, what would you say? This is James' final words. It's the last thing he's going to tell him after this incredible book. And he shares these final words, and they're, they're very, very powerful. It's the conclusion of the book of James. And so James closes his book with two thoughts found here. His first, his first thought here in the conclusion of the book of James is everything in life must revolve around our relationship with God. Everything in life must revolve around our relationship with God. Do you, do you see that? And, and in the way he says it, anyone in trouble, let him pray. Happy, let him sing. Anyone sick, he's talking specifically. Yeah, he's talking about prayer. But he's talking about your relationship surrounded, uh, uh, I should say, connected by God through prayer. And, and prayer is communion, communion with God. It's more than you just talking to God. It's God talking to you. But it's more than that. I had a tremendous time of prayer when I went home. Really wasn't much words. 
God didn't really say anything specifically to me as I wept in his presence. You know, prayer is, is being in his presence. It's him ministering to me, touching me, but it also can be worship. Some have said that worship is the highest form of prayer. But everything in life, says James, is what he's saying, revolves around our relationship with God. If anyone in trouble, verse 13, let him pray. Anyone happy, sing songs of praise. If any of you are sick, let him be prayed for. And this is packed. This part is packed with revelation. Do you all see that verse? Fourteen, is anyone sick? Let him call on the elders of the church. Everybody say, let him call on the elders. Okay, that very phrase, elder, that word is synonymous with leader or pastor or overseer. You're to call on the elders of the church. You're to call on your pastor. You're to call on your leader, that person that's over you, leading you. How do you call on somebody and get healing if you don't have a church? Oh, I'm going over here today. It's, it's a picture that every, listen, every single person needs a pastor. Every single person needs a leader. Do you know your most important relationships? You don't want to know what they are? One, God. God is the most important. Ahead, ahead of your spouse, ahead of your children, your relationship with God is the most important thing. You lose that and you're in big trouble. The second most important relationship would be with your spouse. Now, some of you are not married, so it's just God. And after that, family, perhaps. So your spouse, children, very important. You know what your next important relationship with is? It's not the government. You know what the next important relationship is? God, your spouse, your family, your children. You know what the next one is? With the church. And there's so many people that don't even have a relationship with the church because it's not been emphasized. It's not been taught. It's like something that maybe you could have. Maybe you should have a church. Oh, no. If you're going to walk in victory, if you're going to walk in the blessing of God fully, you need a church. Now, I'm not telling you it has to be this one. I think this is the most awesome place in the world. But I think every pastor ought to say the same thing. I think we have an amazing staff. This is an amazing place. Call on the elders of the church. And it's a picture of relationship. It's not just having a church. It's having a relationship with people. We had somebody call yesterday. They were in trouble. They called and asked for help. How do you call on somebody you don't have a relationship with? You don't even have their phone number. You, don't have, you have nothing. You, 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 What's their name again? That's why I love witnessing to people. And they say, yeah, no, I go to church. I'm like, oh, awesome. What church? Um, that one? Uh, it, you know the one. Oh, then they might be able to name it. Then they name it. I said, oh, yeah, I know that church. Awesome. What's, the name of your, what's your pastor's name again? I, I, I don't know. Well, you don't go all that much if you don't know the name of your pastor. And I'm just telling you, and it's not that I have to be the guy that prays for you. That's, that's wrong. You have to have a relationship with leadership in the church to receive ministry. And that could be a life group leader, but it's, it's even more than that. Wow. If we're sick, we should be prayed for. All of us should be a part of a church. Come on, someone say, I'm a part of a church. The second thing is that we, we should recognize that God has given spiritual authority 
call on elders. It's not call on the janitor. And I don't, I'm not demeaning that. I'm just saying an elder, a pastor, has a spiritual authority in your life that is, has power, can release power, can release blessing. I think we should, you should do house blessing. If you had your house blessed, you know, in Hawaii, which we lived in for some 14 years, in Hawaii, they do all these, I don't know who propagated that and encouraged people to do it, but they have these house blessings. And we would regularly get phone calls, would you come and bless my new house? Would you come and pray over our house? And we would go and pray, and it's a beautiful time of fellowship. That happens in Alaska, but not that much. It's because I don't think people understand. Watch, we're gonna get flooded now. I hope so, go ahead. See, my house hasn't been blessed. (laughs) Where's my admin people? Call the church, make an appointment, we'll come and bless your house. Did he just say that? Oh, yes, he did. Pastor Vince, myself, my team, we'll all get out there. If we have 100 homes to bless, we'll do it together, and it is going to be a powerful thing. you got to recognize that God has given spiritual authority. It doesn't mean to say that you can't pray. You can pray, and you should pray, and you should lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's not just some, it's like the Catholics have used, actually, this text of Scripture to... uh, to make their case for having priests a little bit further on especially prayer should be done in the name of the lord prayer should be done in the what in the name of the lord yeah it's done in the name of the lord prayer in the name of in the name of jesus releases power in the name of the lord in john 14 you'll see this throughout the new testament john 14 13 to 14 And I will do whatever you ask in my name, in my name, in my name, so that the Father is glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Verse 14, John 14, 14. You ready? Come on, let's read it. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. Let's read that again. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. Now, in my name doesn't mean, Lord, my ex-husband, I pray you just strike him. Strike him with... (laughs) I can't say what just came into my mind. No, in my name, Jesus said, you know, should we call fire down on them? The, the disciples said, Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit we're of. In his name is his character. It means everything that that means, kindness and mercy and gentleness. It's the word, his name. So when you pray for his will to be done in his name, he will do it. It's like being handed a blank check. Disney came, Disney removed it from your watching channels. I, apparently it's jacked up, but. They got all kinds of issues. They had blown it. They'd gone so woke, they broke. <laughs> and probably not broke, but they're certainly losing a lot of revenue. Do you know what I'm talking about? All kinds of endorsement, perversion, craziness. Listen to this morning's message. Totally lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, praying in the same sense. <laughs> when you pray in the name of Jesus, it's like a blank check. There was a movie. Did anybody remember that? a long time ago? Blank check. Now I could ask Pastor Karen 
to rip a check out of our checkbook and I could write it to you for a million dollars and sign my name on it. And you could take that and go attempt at cashing it. But it would ricochet all over, might put out your eye. I don't have a million dollars in my bank account to give you. I'm much more wealthy than that because I'm seated in Christ with heavenly places. Can somebody say amen? And I don't have a million, I'm not liquid with a million dollars cash to be able to write a check to you. You know, however, Bill Gates, Bill Gates might be able to, might be able to write a pretty fat check. I'm pretty sure it would cash if he gave you a million dollars, right? Kind of wonder where he got the money from. Maybe population control in Africa and other places. Anyway, let's move on. Let's have a praise break for just a second while I... Listen, if you're ever really offended, just pretend I'm the guest evangelist. The other pastor will be back later. How about if God gave you a check that his name was on? That's what that scripture is. And yet, so infrequently do we cash those checks and ask for outlandish displays of his will. Very infrequently. And, and James is saying, leaving his final words, leaving his final words, he's saying that prayer should be done in the name of the Lord. He's saying that your relationship with the Lord is the most important relationship that you have in communion in prayer. Many scriptures about his name. John 15, 16, you didn't chose me, I chose you, appointed you that you might bear forth fruit and fruit that will remain, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Everybody say, whatever you ask. In John 16, 23, in that day, no longer will you ask me for anything. Verily, verily, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Come on, the Father will what? Give you whatever you ask in my name. And now fourthly, this anointing of oil. Do you see that? Right there in the text. Let them call on the elders of the church and pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You know what's fascinating? I, I have been with well-meaning folks who just cannot pray unless they have oil. The only unusual thing about that, there's only one other place in the New Testament where there's oil used. Well, what, why would James say that? Well, there's a number of reasons, but I want you to go to, to Mark 6. There's only a couple places where oil is used in the New Testament. So why would, do you have oil? Yeah, we got oil. Sometimes it gets ripped off because people take our oil and run away with it. Yeah, we got some oil. We got it right here, right here. We had a big one and we give it away. We give our oil away on a regular basis. And when we, when we sow it into a church extension, when we plant churches, we send oil, usually oil from this place. It's a, it's a pattern we have. This is not magic oil. People aren't healed because I have oil. Okay. In Mark chapter 6, is that other place, Jesus sends them out in verse 13. 
Mark 6, verse 13, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. In your belt, wear, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. They went out, everybody say they went out. They went out, preached that the people should repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So that's, that's what the, this, this oil the apostle used when they prayed for the sick. But Jesus spoke a word and people were healed. And in Luke chapter 5, the presence of the Lord was there to heal. And if it was about praying for the sick with oil every time, he, Jesus would have included that, but it's not included. So you don't have to have some special oil. But you can use oil. It really is like an illustrated sermon of sorts where God's emphasizing that healing doesn't come from you or your holiness. And I've seen that. I, has anybody ever seen that? I'm just anointed. And, you know, you're, you're, I have, I'm a healer. Okay, get off it. You're dirt and dust and God breathed into you and you're born again, praise the Lord. And you might flow in gifts of healing, but let me, let's get real. God is the one who heals through you. I said God heals through you. God releases healing. He released healing out front, but it was through people. And yes, he uses people. And you don't have to have special oil. And it's not like, no, I'm... I've got the gift of healing. Okay. I, I've just seen that, like a, a pride. That you're so spiritual that Jesus, oh yes, Jesus heals everyone through me. Okay. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it, has, it, doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk about oil. It's about the gifts of healing. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit. and lists 12 of the gifts. There's really like 22, 22 gifts of the Spirit, some in Romans, some there. So it lists 12 of these main gifts of the Spirit, and gifts of healing is one of them. And there's no place in there that you have to have some special oil. But it is emphasized here. And I think it's a way that James is emphasizing to them that it's the Holy Spirit that flows through you. And that's what oil is a picture of. Prayer must be offered in faith. Everybody say offered in faith. Now there's three different faiths. What I mean by that, in any one particular situation where somebody needs healing, there's three different faiths, possibly. Now, if it's just you and another person, then there would just be two. That's the faith of the person receiving. So, Pastor Karen and I, we went to a Benny Hinn crusade years ago in Honolulu. And we were there early, and we got in, and it's just like, you're waiting forever for the thing to start, and we're standing around. And there were people... I was wearing my best suit, looking sharp. I looked like maybe one of the ministers that would be on the platform, perhaps, or someone that, someone that was a, a person of spiritual authority, and, and I was, and I am. 
But their perception was I was the miracle worker that God, and they, I felt this press. It was disturbing, and I'm gonna tell you why. I, somebody came with a baby that was just horribly deformed. Tears running down, it's a Spanish family, and tears running down their face as they held their baby. Heal, heal my baby, heal my baby. I said, hallelujah, yes. And I laid hands on the baby, and I prayed, and I didn't see change, and I prayed again. And as I'm praying, another family's here, and another family's here, and another family's here. And now they're two and three and four stacked. And I started seeing, uh, oh my God, and God started moving and touching people. But that baby, that deformed baby, I didn't see healed. And I prayed for somebody else. I started feeling like I don't have what it takes to release healing to the masses here. But their faith was sky high, and God moved. I mean, I was just feeling like this. In, I, I didn't really have my identity all that secure in God back then. And I'm just thinking, Lord, I felt that press that maybe Jesus felt a little bit, except he had power that I didn't have right in that moment. It, was a, it pushed me to wake up and to go deeper in God. But there's a faith of the people. That's a, when you're receiving... Have faith to receive. You say, well, I don't have any faith. That's okay. Because there's another person involved when you're getting prayer. And that's the person that's praying for you. So you've got the faith of the person receiving. You have the faith of the one ministering to you. My staff is full of faith. I've got a healing team, pastors, ministers. They're all full of faith. I've got life group leaders and people that are full of faith. And, and they have faith to pray for you to be healed. You know, sometimes you don't have faith for that. Come on, the, the, the man says to Jesus, your disciples said, I, I don't know, I couldn't do it. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Sometimes we feel that way, but thank God for people who can minister to us that have faith. But there's a third group of people, and that's the faith of the congregation. Where do you get that? And I'm just going to tell you, you get that from Nazareth one of many other places. But in Nazareth, the congregation couldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Couldn't believe that he was the King of Kings. Couldn't believe that he's the one that could heal the sick and set the captives free and raise the dead. Couldn't believe, isn't this Jesus? Didn't we change his shorts? Isn't, aren't this his brothers and sisters? And, they, and Jesus could not do many miracles there, mighty miracles there, because of their unbelief and because of their lack of honor. So because of a congregation, the minister of ministers, Jesus Christ himself's power was shut down to a degree because he, he couldn't do miracles because people couldn't believe. Isn't that amazing? Do you know what I found? Every guest that comes here, and I don't think there's one exception, Pastor Karen, that I can recall, every guest that comes here says this, that place is the most amazing group of people to preach to that I've ever preached to. They're so hungry, they're leaning forward on their seat, they're, they're full of faith and they're exuberant and they say stuff like, amen. Can I get an amen? amen? And I've actually, on more than one occasion, I was thinking about this and praying this afternoon, on many occasions I've had preachers come and say, I need to get that recording because I'm just not sure I've ever preached that that good before. And you know why that is? It's you. You were hungry and thirsty. I felt that this morning. When I was preaching this morning, it was like you guys were just, preach! 
preach. I mean, you were just pulling on the hem of his garment. I felt like I got possessed on the Holy Ghost. I'm not even sure what happened. I got to go back and listen to it myself. That's what happens when you're on. Listen, you, when you're hungry and you're thirsty, the faith of the congregation, the faith of the receiver, you can have someone dull. They don't even preach that good. They can bring the fire because you're hungry. Come on, somebody. But faith must be present. And prayer must be offered in faith. Sickness and sin, as we continue to look at this text, sickness and sin sometimes go together. But it doesn't always go together. Someone say, it doesn't always go. John, there's an account where Jesus heals a blind man. And, and, and the disciples say, Jesus, we're curious, uh, is his blindness because of his sin or the sin of his parents? He's like, neither. Because there, there is a connection between sin and sickness, clearly. But it's not always that way. So if somebody gets sick, doesn't mean like, oh, you must be in sin. You're in sin. Jesus said to the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda, he goes and he says to him, go and sin no more. So it could very well be that his sin was connected to his sickness. So I'm not saying it isn't. It is, but not always. Well, how do you know which one is which? Great question. I believe in divine health. I believe in divine healing. And I, I believe that that, you know, God protects us from sickness, infirmity, and disease. You know, when I got COVID-19, which I, I think I've had it three times, amen? Thinking, how does that thing get over the bloodline? I'm walking, I'm, I'm walking in faith. I'm, I'm, I don't have sin in my life that I'm aware of. And if I did, my wife would tell me, and the Lord would tell me also. So you examine your life. When you get sick and you go through hard times, examine yourself. And you might find that you have an anger problem. You might find that you have a bitterness. You might find that you have unforgiveness and bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. They found science that relates sickness, infirmity, disease, cancer to anger, bitterness, and um, uh, what's that one you have a problem with your joints? Arthritis is also linked. Root causes of disease are many times linked to people's unforgiveness, bitterness, and anger. You, you can't afford to stay angry. Come on, in your anger, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. You can't afford to be bitter. You can't afford to be someone who's not forgiving. And the Bible says if you don't forgive, then you're not forgiving yourself. Can I get a good amen? And it will certainly produce sickness. There's a clear connection, no doubt. And we need to pray that God would show us if there is one. But there, not, there is not always a connection to sin. So don't put that on people. I said don't put that on people. And it's interesting, you pray for one another, 
that you may be healed. Confess your faults, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, you may be healed. That is the text that is used by Catholics to endorse one of them, priests. Confess your sin. How many have ever been to confession? My brother and I did some horrible things when we were kids. Not unlike your children. And, and when we got caught, my dad said, okay, boys, you're going to confession. We're like, okay. And we got dragged off to St. James Church. And there he brought us in. It wasn't even like a service. I don't know if he made an appointment. I guess they had confessional times or something. He did something special that he knew the priest was going to be in some scary box. And I remember my brother went in and I had to sit there and I'm looking and like he comes out and he's like, and he fades. He's like, your turn. I'm like, oh my God, 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 oh my God. Oh my God. And I walked into this thing and I sit down and the priest, God, what is it? What do you say? I make a good active confession. I forget, though, it was like 100 years ago. And I remember what he made me do. All right. Say two Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. You can go. I said, okay. Our Father, I knew him like, Hail Mary. I don't know that one. So I sat down. I said, two Our Fathers, and I'm like, Hail Mary. Amen. Times five. All right. Awesome. And I, and I left. But there is this, this beautiful picture of a connection with other people and accountability. Accountability. In this church at King's here, not just here in Alaska, but worldwide, 600 extensions pushing to 1,200 by 2025. We, are, we place a high level of importance and value on accountability. On accountability. We're accountable to each other. And in actual fact, as a believer, you ought to have people that that you're accountable to. Who knows? Who knows your weaknesses and your difficulties and your shortcomings? Who is that? And when you run into difficulty, you have somebody you can talk to and pray for and get prayer for? That verse says, confess your faults one or another. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful understanding to have someone to be able to pray for you. But you don't need a priest. You are a priest. Be righteous through your prayers so your prayers are effective and powerful. In 1 Peter 3, 7, treat your, your wife right. Treat your wife with understanding. It goes on to say that if you don't, then you're going to hinder your prayers. Now, if, you're, if your walk with the Lord is the most important relationship you have, but the second most important relationship you have is your spouse, and you don't treat your spouse right, it hinders your most important relationship. I would highly advise that you treat your spouse correctly. In this particular case, it's talking about men and women. Wow. How you treat people is important. Be righteous. And he gives this, he goes on to give these illustrations. Elijah was a, was a man just like us, with a nature like ours. Elijah was just like us, yet his prayer caused it to rain. I've seen some crazy stuff in prayer, and you will too if you'll give yourself to it. I've seen all kinds of miracles. We've seen water recede. We've seen unbelievable breakthroughs. 
One of the great miracles of our property, and there's so many, there's a book. We have to put it together, got to get together, put a collation with all the stories, have a scribe, put a book together, and put, and put it out because there's so many. But during the pouring of the concrete, you'll see it in the pre-service video. You see these guys riding around on these hovercraft-looking things. They're finishing the concrete on that day. It was one of the largest pours that was ever done in the valley. One continuous pour. We poured the whole thing in one time. And, and the trucks were lined up forever. And they, I remember we were shouting. You remember when we shouted out at that gate? My staff and pastors, some of you remember that. We were shouting based from Isaiah as the foundation was being laid. It was a beautiful moment. And as they're pouring that and they finished, you see coming out of the pass, out by the... Uh, by the um, by the glacier, thank you, you see these dark clouds just moving in, and you see rain. Does anybody know what that looks like? And there's rain, and it's coming, and it's coming, and I'm looking at it, and we're thinking, oh, Lord Jesus. And our, our, uh, our concrete guy who goes to the church, God bless him, they blessed us and helped us so profoundly. He says to Wally, if that comes here, we're ruined. And Wally reaches his hands out with everybody watching and says, in the name of Jesus, cause the rain cloud to leave. Let it not one drop come on this concrete in Jesus' name. That's all he did. Do you know what happened? That rain cloud came and it parted. And it went around, it literally went around our property. It rained on Walmart. It rained on the other side. Not one drop on our concrete. Now I'm gonna tell you, that's the effect, effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous. You can pray and see things change. Elijah, he had emotional problems. <laughs> Elijah had emotional issues. He had emotional damage. He did? Yeah. I mean, at one moment, he's like, oh, and the next moment, he's like, I think, I don't know, he had, he had, uh, it's not ADD, what would it be? Yes, he was, I think he might have been bipolar, thank you. I mean, he had all kinds of miracles, and then some sissified, some, is that a sissified man, it was this woman wearing too much makeup, Jezebel. with her face painted, terrified him, and he ran. How do you wipe out all the prophets of Baal and rums from a girl? We say, well, he was really tired. Yeah, I bet he was. He was tired. But you know what's beautiful about it? The fact that he uses Elijah as an example. You know what it means? Some of you are like a roller coaster. I mean, one minute you're like, oh God, oh God, do you love the Lord? And the next minute you're like, oh, and you're on the mountain and there's miracles and then you're in the valley and you're sorrow. I mean, some of you in your, in your marriages, you just go like this up and down. God help you if you're all down at the same time. It's a horrible thing. He's saying, Elijah, I might be reading into it a little bit, but this is what it means to me. Elijah had emotional issues and if he had emotional issues and God still used him, that gives hope for all of us. Come on, somebody say amen. It's hope for you. <laughs> Lift your hands to heaven and say, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> he prayed earnestly, is verse 17. 
It's not some mealy-mouthed, half-hearted, limp-wristed, lackadaisical, no-passion prayer. Oh, God. When you, that, I'm gonna, you pray like that, you ain't getting nothing happened for you. There is something about the fervent, fervent prayer. A white-hot prayer. I can always tell when people pray if they have a viable relationship with the Lord and they're believing God. And they've got passion. I don't believe in religious prayers. I hate them. Just kind of going through the motion, saying Father God 75 times. It's almost like the Lord's like, stop calling my name for God's sake. Father God, Father God, Father God, 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 Father God, Father God, Father God, 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 Father God, Father God, Father God, 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 Father God, God, God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? I'm trying to help you pray with your heart and your understanding. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray, pray, but pray with insight. Isn't that right, Pastor Kirsten? Come on, Pastor Kirsten. I think, Pastor Kirsten, we should pray with insight. Pastor Kirsten, Pastor Kirsten. Pastor Kirsten, what do you think? Pastor Kirsten, what do you think about having prayer, Pastor Kirsten? Pastor Kirsten, I think we should have prayer, Pastor Kirsten. Pastor Kirsten, Pastor Kirsten. Is that even like, and what planet are you from? Let's all have a praise break. Just raise your hand to the Lord. Hallelujah. Are you mocking my prayer? Yes. But looking for another opportunity to correct that, I felt like it was right there, so I took it. If you're offended, go to Lowe's, get a ladder, and get over it. I'm trying to help you. You're leading people in prayer, or you're, you're praying, and you pray for somebody out in the community, and you say, Father God, or Heavenly Father, or Abba Daddy, 75 times during five minutes. They don't understand that. And there is praying earnestly. And pray, listen, pray God's word, say that. Pray God's word. You pray God's word, it has much more power than your prayer of your own making. But, but please use your own heart and pray, pray that way as well. But pray earnestly. Pray in faith. Pray believing. You have all kinds of challenges, so do Elijah, and we're, he had a nature like ours. We have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have that. We can pray in tongues. He didn't have that. All right, the second thought. <laughs> the second thought. I, I had a memory, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go there since I have time. Um, Dan Morocco, Dr. Morocco, some of you have heard this story before, but Dan Morocco prayed very loud. He, was an opera, he had an operatic voice, and he would play, Oh, God! I mean, he would lift his voice. He didn't need a mic. It was just big Italian operatic voice, and he would pray so loud. And Jim Morocco, now pastor or Dr. James Morocco, he didn't like it so much. It was just kind of irritating because his father would pray so loud, and he would be embarrassed when he would go out and his father would pray and stuff. <laughs> My kids at times are like, God, come on, just chill. In the words of Hannah, Dad, you have no chill. I'm like, that's right. So Jim, James Morocco, Jim, as a young man growing up, he, he said, you know, Dad, you are really, really loud. 
Can you not pray so loud, God, uh, Dad? God's not deaf. And his father said, that's right, Jim. He's also not nervous. All right. Second, final thought, the final words of James in the last chapter here. We must care for others. Oh, isn't that beautiful? We've got to care for others. We've got to take our focus off ourselves and look for the needs of others. You've got to help people. Care for people. And this scripture is where this book of James. Can you give me the King James, please, on the screen? It'll help me. I was pressed to get this message off of off my heart and to finish studying it. Put the King James version of uh, James 5 and verse 20. We'll take a moment until you find it. James 5 and verse 20. Do you have it right there? New King James might do it. Does it have it? Okay, good. Thank you so much. Uh, Verse 19. This is so sobering to me. Brethren and sistren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let them know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. That is a good translation. See, what do you you mean? NIV butchers it horribly. See, because when it uses the word soul, it's the word soul in the Greek. In other words, he's talking about losing your salvation is what he's talking about. Now, in this room, we might have people who ascribe more to a Calvinist viewpoint and that once you give your heart to Jesus, thank you, Pastor Kirsten. Appreciate that, Pastor Kirsten, so much, Pastor Kirsten. Thank you. Ascribe to a Calvinist viewpoint that once you give your heart to Jesus, you're good. In other words, that's it. Your name's sealed. You're headed to heaven. And at the extreme of that, no matter what you do, you're going to heaven. Okay, we don't believe that here. We believe that you can wander from the truth. That's what this is saying. You can wander. We can wander from the truth. If you wander from the truth, where are you at? You're in error. And if you're in error, and and it goes on to say to save a soul from death is specifically talking about saving someone's eternal soul from hell. That's intense. You can be used by God to bring them back. And that's exactly what we should do. Is that not so powerful? That's powerful. The way that we live, the way that we relate to people can be used to save them from literally the pit. And you'll see this uh, reiterated as well. The writer of the book of Hebrews chapter 3, put that on too. Go back to the NIV or New King James. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Turn there. Go ahead, turn there. See, you're not guaranteed heaven just because you repented and gave your life to Jesus. It's a relationship. Okay. Okay. I'm married, happily married. Isn't that right, Pastor Karen? Yes. Huh? Yeah. 
Okay, I'm married. I have a relationship with my beautiful wife and have for 25 years. <laughs> 25 years we've been married. We've known each other for 27. That's a relationship I have. It's the second most important one I have. Now, I need to behave rightly towards you. And we need to stay in communication. We need to spend time together. Now, how would it be? I'm not even going to use myself as an example because it'll never happen. But with a married couple, if, if the husband or the wife begins to have other extra marital relationships, how would that work? I'm not even using myself as an example. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. Amen. Well, how, how do you think that would work? Pastor Karen, how would that work if another, if a wife had, and the husband decided to have some other relationships? Not well. It would not work well. In fact, I would say that's an understatement. Thank you for being so gracious. It'd be hell on earth. And, and how would that be then? And, and very possibly if you had that in your marriage, do you think your marriage would be healthy? Do you think your marriage would work? I mean, do you think that's a viable thing? You know what happened is he, or it could be she, wandered from the truth. They wandered from their covenant. They wandered from the way of understanding. Proverbs, and they'll rest in the congregation of the dead. Literally, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And when it's all done, how you've, how you've lived that life and your walk with him, then viable and you don't have a bunch of other extramarital relationships? I preached on it this morning. You think you can smoke dope? You think you can have a, a licentious lifestyle? Be filled with lust? Fornicate? Commit adultery? Be a liar? Be an adulterer? And go to heaven? No, he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. You will depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You say, but... But, 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 but I was saved. Were you? Did, did, okay, but, 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 but I was married. We'll stay that way. So what happens is the enemy is so wicked. He leads people to wander from the truth. And do you know what you're supposed to do? Do you know what I'm supposed to do? Do you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to bring them back. We're supposed to put our arm around them and quit pointing your finger at them and saying, well, well, if you, if you don't have been in church, I told you you shouldn't have been with that hussy anyway. Just have mercy and compassion and bring them back. Turn a soul from death. Salvation is a relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13. Did we find it? See to it, brothers and sisters. Is there any brothers and sisters in here? Okay. See to it, brothers and sisters, that not one of you, that not one of you, that not one of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. That does what? Turns away from the living God. Verse 13, please. So he's talking to us. He's telling us, see to it. But encourage one another. Come on, bump your neighbor and say, be encouraged. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What's verse 14? If we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly, if, wow, if indeed, if, 
Do you see the if right there? You'll see this throughout Scripture. And Calvinists make a decent argument, but not a good one, really. And you can be confused. I remember talking to a pastor early on about salvation and losing salvation. And then the guy said to me, oh, no, you can't lose your salvation once you're saved. That's it. And the Baptist or different Calvinist type people would say, well, if they're living that way, they weren't really saved. Salvation is a relationship with Jesus. You want to make sure it stays intact. You can't earn salvation, but you must receive him and walk with him. And that sanctification is daily reckoning his life in your, in your life, his resurrection power in your life, and, and daily reckoning death to your flesh, your own agenda, and living for God. And the enemy works hard to get you out of that, and we're supposed to turn people back. If we're used that way, we can save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That is so powerful. Save a soul from death. All right, God is speaking to us as my worship team comes. i got to pray. We're in a time of fasting and prayer. Prayer is crucial. Prayer is, is the backbone of this whole ministry. Prayer is part of the very fabric of who we are. It's been passed down to us now from Dan Morocco on to Dr. James Morocco and to so many others, and we endeavor to pass it on to you, that your family, that you would give yourself to a lifestyle of prayer. And what that means is not just praying when you have problems. It's, it's having a lifestyle of prayer, having a set schedule where you get up and pray. You say, well, I don't like having a set. Well, you go to work. You have a set schedule of going to work, right? No, I don't. okay. You have it to have a set schedule where set aside time where you seek God. You talk to Him. But not just talking to Him. It's not just talking to Him. It's communion, right? Back to the first point. It's communion. It's, it's fellowship with Him. It's talking to God, but it's Him talking to you. It's, it's worship. It's intimacy with God. One of the reasons there's such a release of God's power. And on a Sunday night when all those in the know, when I first got here 16 and a half years ago, they all told me, you can't have a Sunday night. We're in Alaska. Ain't nobody coming to a Sunday night. And I've humorously said, at least it's funny to me, why don't you look at your neighbor and say, well, so glad you're here. Nobody. Full house on a Sunday night. Why would that be? Because there are people that are hungry and thirsty and want to get touched by God and want to hang out with each other and pray. It's, it, it is that way. And I want to tell you that it's prayer that has set this environment here that's caused the forces of darkness to be pushed back over this region. And we have just started. But prayer is crucial as God has been. We must pray. We must what? We must pray. Secondly, be committed to a local church. Now, if we're, if this is not a good fit for you, that's okay. We're unoffended. We will love you. I can, somebody, you know something? I had somebody say, I can't go to church here. I said, I'm so sorry. Did something happen? No, no. It's just that it's, it's just way too happy. I said, okay. I was going to say sorry, but I'm thinking, I'm not going to apologize for that. I said, oh. I said, well, can I direct you to some other churches? He said, yeah. And I gave them a list of churches and they went and I, I hope that they found a place. I, and I said, if you don't find a place, 
You come on back. You'll get used to it. It'll be great. I had somebody say, but you guys are way too loud. You're way too loud. We're loud. You'll hate heaven. If you don't like loud church, you'll hate heaven. It's too loud. Turn it. You'll hate heaven. Sound of multitudes. You'll hate it. You're like, well, I just want to be with my own people. I just want to go to a black church. I just want to go to a white church. I just want to go to a native church. You will also hate heaven because there is no, there's no individual sections in heaven where there's the black section and the Chinese section and the white. Look around, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. I love this place because it's filled with culture. I go sometimes into churches in the lower 48 and it's, it's just so weird. It's like, it's a pre-salvation movie, Stepford Wives. It's just weird. It's like everybody's. It's like it's like robots. It's like my God. It's like just cookie cutter. It's all these white people with no rhythm. Now I went to an all black church. I felt right at home right there. I was like, poosh, 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 poosh. I ran around that place. Oh man, that was great. Anyway. Somebody said, you know, I've figured you out. You're a black man trapped inside a white man's body. I said, well, whatever. I just love Jesus. Come on, anybody love Jesus? <laughs> How did I get on that? Fasting, I guess. Oh, yeah. Be committed to the local church. Find a church. Commit yourself to it. Well, I just, I just not getting any meat there. Listen, I understand. Leadership's very important. You pray, you pray, God will show you what church to go to. But if you're not committed to one, I, I rebuke you lovingly tonight to tell you, find a church. No, I just go to the body of Christ. Okay, Mr. Body of Christ. That's not a biblical thing. We are the body of Christ. You find a local place where you develop relationships, you get a part of a vision, and you serve in that place. Well, I don't like that. I don't like people. That's because you're the one actually with the issues. If you'll come and commit yourself that you can get healed, you crotchety thing you. Is that a word? Good. A little scary for a second. Everybody say, be committed to the local church. And don't let sin stay hidden in your lives. This is God speaking to us from the final chapter of, of James 5. Don't let things stay hidden in your lives. Confess your faults. Confess, expose stuff. Just expose it. I forget the guy's name. He used to play the nose flute or something. Uh, what's that guy's name, Pastor Kirsten? Um, yeah, he was a revivalist guy. He was connected with Rodney Howard Brown. And um, he was unusual. He was for close friends with Dr. Morocco. Do you remember his name? Uh, uh, he was close friends with Dr. Gannon. Chris Harvey. I don't know how he's doing. Has anybody ever heard of Chris Harvey? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Chris Harvey. That guy is wild. He would just get up and like play this nose flute and the power of God would fall. It's crazy. I remember him sharing a story about, about getting, exposing your sin and embarrassing your sin so you can get it out of your life. And he said, the Lord spoke to him. He was teaching a, a life group at a local church. And the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to embarrass the anger problem you have with all of your people, because I'm gonna set you free. And so he had his group and everybody came and he sat, he 
sat with everybody and he shared the word with everybody. You know, I've had an anger problem. They're like, oh, that's okay, Chris. You know, we've all struggled with things. He's like, yeah. And uh, the Lord told me to expose it and embarrass it. So I'm going to embarrass my anger problem and I want you guys to pray for me. It's like, oh, okay, Chris. So he gets up and he removes the pictures from the wall and there's fist holes in all of the wall from him punching the wall. There's holes in drywall all around his apartment. And they're like, oh, okay, let's pray for, let's pray for Chris. <laughs> and they prayed for him and he really felt like he got set free. The only thing is nobody came to his group the following week. <laughs> Somehow emptied out his life group exposed sin. Do you have anything to get rid of? If you don't, if you don't get rid of it, it can take you down the, the primrose path. You can be bamboozled. You can wander out of the way. You can wander away from the truth. And you can find your soul in death. You've got to expose things. I have the fear of the Lord about that. I just, I have a bear, I have no list. I didn't just get rid of it. Everybody say, just, just tell. Now don't just tell anybody. Because there's people who say they're spiritual, but they'll post all your stuff on Facebook. They'll talk to Sister Bucketmouth and Brother Backstabber. You, you confess with people that live holy, godly lives that know how to, to be, uh, protect you, not gossip. Gossip's witchcraft. I can't stand gossip. Don't do that here. You'll get corrected. sin stay hidden you're like lastly be reckoned be concerned about the spiritual condition of others be concerned about the spiritual condition of others so if you will allow the holy spirit right now as we're about to move into a time of prayer and we've got our prayer teams they're going to prophesy and pray for those of you that you'll get ready team a bunch of folks that have been trained to pray and prophesy if you need a word from the lord you can come and receive ministry tonight here in just a little bit after the close but allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now is there anyone that you know that needs to be turned back Pastor Vince help me would you help me please so Pastor Vince let's say Pastor Vince is walking the wrong way he's walking the wrong way there he goes he's walking the wrong way do you know anybody that's walking the wrong way because if you do, would you just lovingly come to them and say, hey, 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 come on back. Come on back. Turn them, turn them back. Turn them back. Love people enough to turn them back. I, you have power. That's what that's saying. Your prayers like an Elijah can turn a nation. You can turn people back from, from hell. I don't want to be meddling. I don't want to be controlling. Listen, just ask God to give you the words. Be filled with love and compassion and do it anyway. What's the worst that can happen? They don't like you? Big deal. They'll be very thankful that they're not in hell later on and they'll remember. How many of you know people that need to be turned back? Raise your hand. Come on, honestly. I prayed about this. This is a real word from the Lord for us. You know people that need to be turned back. Okay, the Lord sees your hand. I see your hand. I'm not, taking a, I'm, not, I'm not taking a list or anything, 
but will you commit yourself to do something to turn them back? Will you call them? Will you text them? Text them now. I'm in a service. I haven't seen you for a long time. I know you love the Lord and I know the devil's bad. I just want to encourage you, man. Come on back to church. Come on back. Come on. Are you going somewhere else? Did you move away? Would you do that? Would you reach out? to? You do it right now. Do it right now. There's power right now. It's early enough. It's 746. You know they're watching Netflix till midnight. Is there anybody you know you can turn back to you, raise your hand? Would you reach to them this week, if not right now? Would you? Because that's what we're all called to do. That's what this church is about. This church is about saving souls and populating heaven, plundering hell and populating heaven. Do you get something from God tonight? Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.